0: Welcome to Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio, my guest. In this edition of Fangraph Studio, making his fortnightly appearance on the program. His fortnightly appearance, former Pirates beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and also author of Big Data Baseball. It is Travis Sacek. It is the prolific Travis Sacek. And in this edition of the program, as he does every two weeks, Sacek joins us from an idyllic spot either near or in his home, the home which is now no longer located in Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, but rather Bay Village, Ohio, just west of beautiful downtown Cleveland. Of particular note this week, the reduction of personnel in advanced scouting departments, the manipulation of service time for young players, the mischaracterization of player health in trade talks. Are these the practices employed by one of baseball's more cynical organizations? Not in this case. No, rather, these are all strategies utilized by Travis Sacek in the Hardball Dynasty League, of which he and other beat reporters, Major League beat reporters, are part. Despite, of course, having censured these practices himself in print, what has Sacek done except to employ them ruthlessly as a means to the end of his own dominance? Sacek recently won his second consecutive Hardball Dynasty title in the BBWA League. He's been characterized, however, by some as a latter-day feudal lord, a boss tweed for the 21st century, and even though by some I mean one, And by one, I mean the host of this program. That's not to say that such characterizations of Sacek are incorrect. In any case, mostly what I uh, uh, mean to say is that we spent entirely too long discussing Sacek's conduct in the Arbolani's League. Do we also discuss Steven Strasburg and the curious series of events leading up to and including his Game 4 start against the Chicago Cubs? Yes, we do that. Yes, we do that. And very likely address other matters pertaining to the postseason. But mostly, as I say... Mostly what one finds here is a deep and wide-ranging analysis of Sochik's reign of terror in a totally fictional world. will get to that conversation with Sochik in a moment. First, it is both my privilege and also my obligation to remind everyone that Fangraph's memberships exist. For reasonable-sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the excellent work that appears at that site. And for a slightly less reasonable-sum, readers can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads both facilitating faster loading speeds and also liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available only for reasons that are obvious at Fangraphs.com by clicking around a little bit once you get to that website. Okay, uh, With that advertisement now, having been completed, let us move on. What is it? It is Audio. Who does it feature? The prolific and menacing Travis Sajic. And when does it begin? Right now.
1: Under the weather. Yes.
0: How did this happen? you think? did you get it from your kid? Uh, possibly.
1: Yeah, it was also it was a busy week. I was out I went to the game what was it game five of the LDS on Wednesday night <clears throat> And you know, it was like a five hour game. As all these postseason games are. So I I didn't get out of the postgame locker room until like 12.45 Thursday morning. And I didn't get home until 3.20 in the morning. Ugh. And then little Sam was up pretty early. He was up at 6.30 the next day.
0: Um, and were you on Sam Patrol? I was. Oh.
1: Yeah, rough. You and... know, I want to
0: say, I'm, I've been over here. I'm bemoaning my role in my child's life, but I never had to – well, I have not yet – had to perform anything like that yeah it was a, it was a tough go uh, yeah because these these uh, so, and probably yours you, yours in a, in a distinct way in um or in a way that's distinct from mine but it's very demanding of of a of a parent's attention he wants to be he needs to be he wants to be engaged he does yeah he does. and what do you what is uh what is Travis Sochick like on three hours of sleep <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's when the i iP- the iPad becomes a uh, co-parent. <laughs> uh, as much as I hate to admit to that, yeah, sometimes I will fall back on uh, our DVR or iPad to mm-hmm. provide some <coughs> infotainment
0: when I <I'm, laughs> when I'm at less than 100. percent What do you got? You got sticky, any of the Sticky Bear programs on there? Did you ever do any work with the Sticky Bear program?
1: I'm not familiar. No. Yeah, uh, it
0: was. uh, I think that was part of. uh, Like in the 80s, part of Apple's edutainment lineup. Ah. Yeah, you said infotainment, edutainment. I think this is probably very similar. Um, It is a. um, Is it a neologism? (laughs) I don't know. Get that neologism away from me. It's. uh, I don't know, something like that. It's a spoonerism? Spoonerism. What do you think? Spoonerism yeah combination of two words. we'll get to the bottom of that combination of two words. so you un, uh, not unlike uh, Steven Strasberg a few days ago are having to uh, labor under the under uh, suboptimal conditions. Do you think that you will uh, l- that you will rise to the occasion? <laughs>
1: uh, I hope so. I, I don't know how ill Steven Strasberg was, but he certainly did rise to the occasion. Uh, so let's
0: we do this. Whether he was week. ill
1: or not, he was very good.
0: Okay, so I have two comments to as a response here. Portmanteau. Portmanteau or portmanteau? Portmanteau is a combination of two words. Edutainment. Edutainment is an example, so is infantainment an example of a portmanteau. Spoonerism. It's not an example of a spoonerism, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually I know that spoonerism a spoonerism. Spoonerism is so-called is based off of I believe John Spooner was a British uh, minister. <clears throat> and so an example of it this is from uh, or perhaps it was William Archibald Spooner it looks like. In any ways um, if instead of saying the Lord the Lord is a loving shepherd you say the Lord is a shoving leopard. <laughs> it's a shoving leopard. That's a Spoonerism. Oh. You, you transpose I guess you and transpose the first two there. Anyway, <clears throat> here's, uh, we occasionally will do this, Travis Ochick. We will revisit a post that you've written, uh, but we will, we will bring listeners behind the scenes. Yeah? We will unshroud what has pr- uh, hitherto been shrouded in, <laughs> and I don't know if it's been shrouded in mystery. <laughs> that that would imply that people were interested at in the first place. But we sometimes, uh, uh, Remove the veil on the editorial process. Yeah,
1: this is like the uh, the extras on your Blu-ray. <laughs> this or, yeah,
0: this <laughs> is yeah yeah. This is a yeah it's um, right we're it's the uh, right there's edit- we're editorializing the editorial. Who bonus who, will, who will watch the Watchmen? That's it's basically <laughs> that. Here, but people
1: like people like going behind the scenes. I like when someone takes me behind the scenes. Uh, and if you have access to something, you should take people in the scenes because why else are you there? Why else are you there? So, yes, we we should do that.
0: Well, do you remember uh, recently you wrote a post attempting to provide as faithful a chronicle as you could of the events that led up to – I guess the ultimately led up to, to Steven Strasburg's start in game four for the Nationals on Wednesday. Does that Have I ca- characterized it accurately? I – I recalled writing this post, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was difficult it was difficult for you, I think, to accurately characterize the events that led up to the start because it was not entirely clear wh- what those events were,
1: yeah, I think it was you know the nationals didn't exactly do a great job of communicating the the issue, and the timeline of events was a little. Dusty Baker didn't even know what day Strasburg had gone out to throw his uh, bullpen side session between starts, so the whole thing was confused. And uh, so, yeah, we had, we even had a phone call to sort of, as you were editing the post, to to make sure we were all on the same page to understand the events as best we could. So it it was hard to understand exactly what the situation was, how ill or uh, healthy Strasburg was. Uh, so we, I did my best to reconstruct the events as as, much, as well as I knew them. Right. Well, and when I was writing that post, it was initially why he shouldn't start if he's sick. Mm-hmm. And then while I was writing it, news broke that he was starting after all. So he was either feeling much better or he was shamed into starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, he went out and he, he offered one of the great Performances of the postseason to date.
0: Okay, so let's so let's look at because the, the, the events were interesting, and they were difficult because on the one hand there were the events that occurred, right, and then there was also the reporting about the events. Yes, but in some cases it seemed as though that the reporting about the events that between the event and the reporting about the event that other events were occurring, which only later reporting would reveal. The substance of which only later reporting would reveal.
1: That's true, and uh, the, you know, journalism is often the uh, it's the the first what uh, edition of, of history, the first version of history. And then, as time goes on, hopefully, we get we have a better understanding, more insights so the longer between the time an event happened and. Uh, like if an event happened 10 years ago, people are more willing to talk about it today than they were 10 years ago. There's this time sensitivity around things. So I, I think we knew more after the fact. Uh, but it makes it challenging to uh, have an opinion and to, to write anything of coherence <laughs> so, <laughs> the so as, best,
0: as best as you understand, what happened? Yes.
1: Uh, <laughs> as best I understand. Yeah. Uh, uh, St- Strasburg was a day earlier. Dusty Baker told everyone that he wasn't feeling well, and he was uh, he was still. I guess the initial plan was for him to start Game Five, and then when the rainout happened in Chicago, which would have
0: been Thursday, which was always scheduled for Thursday, which was always
1: scheduled scheduled for Thursday. But then when the rainout pushed Game Four back, people thought, "Oh,
0: from Tuesday from Tuesday to Wednesday and
1: would have put Strasburg on his normal rest." Uh, the initial reaction from many was yeah this is great what a break for the nationals Strasbourg can pitch so uh, people were surprised uh, when the nationals stuck with their original plan which was to pitch Strasbourg in a in a game game five and uh, a lot of a lot of people did not like that decision and uh, some people noted that if Strasburg was so ill, I was at the ballpark. He'd been seen throwing in the outfield at Wrigley Field on Tuesday. A number of ex-Major League players had sort of questioned uh, Strasburg's competitiveness.
0: Including among um, them, I believe, David Ross, right? David Ross, and uh, and- Mark Tichera, uh
1: There's someone else who is pretty prominent, Uh I was I was actually so, surprised. Someone said they couldn't even look him in the eye if they're his teammate. I mean, <laughs> that's some pretty strong words that were, were spoken.
0: Yeah, and it, it was strong words because for how – let's see. For how obscure the the actual facts of the matter appeared to be, at least for those of us on the – more of the public end of, of matters, it was – I was surprised, yes, that uh, – and I think it was maybe David Ross who who took that tact. Yeah, he said, if I'm his teammate, I can't look him in the eye. Um and it's – and and I was surprised that he stated it so unequivocally because the facts of the matter seem to be, as I say, obscure. But uh, perhaps he understood more than than we do. Mm. Uh,
1: if David Ross and I were teammates, he probably wouldn't look me in the eye very, very often.
0: <laughs> yeah. did you, now, did you ever speak with David Ross when he was a pro ball player? Uh,
1: I don't believe so. Yeah. He was uh, – he was at the end of his career, and hopefully I'm
0: somewhere in the middle of mine. Although you're similarly uh, aged, I bet.
1: Yeah, we are similarly aged.
0: Yeah, but, uh, That's how it works.
1: But yeah, I thought some of that was unfair because look, I'm not feeling 100% today. And I don't. I feel like that would negatively uh, influence my work. Uh, and, it, and it probably will because I will write something later, and it'll probably hor- be horrible. Well, okay, and so- it'll be even more horrible because I'm... Dealing with some sort of sinus issue,
0: but, but so and so, what? What's yes? No, in what you pointed out brings us to an interesting case, right? Is if we take for granted that Steven Strasburg was sick, and again, it's not entirely clear if that's the truth. I'll ask you a follow up on that in a second. If you take for granted that he is sick, though, what the data suggests, as you you alluded to, I think. Um, a sort of small study that Ben Lindbergh had conducted on starts from maybe it was 2014 or 2012 or something like that.
1: Yeah, Ben looked at all the, I think it was 2012, mm-hmm. he looked at all the starts, uh, performed by starting pitchers that were known to be, or said to be, reported to be ill going into those starts. And I think there were, there were 10 starts by 9 pitchers.
0: And there was and, document, there was, it's documented to some degree by what, like, um B reporters or something of that sort. Yes.
1: Yeah. And uh, and, mo- and overwhelmingly, these the pitchers perform below their seasonal average in those those starts. And uh, I mean, there's some problems with this type of study in that you don't know how ill the player is. But uh, you, know, you would think if, if a, a player is reported to be ill... They probably are because they want to have a built-in to excuse if they do go out there and perform poorly. Uh, but, but it was a relatively small sample, but nonetheless, interesting. Right, so. And you would, and you would think a guy going out at less than 100% would not pitch up to his typical, uh, kind of performance.
0: Yeah, and, and so this is why I guess I, this is, this is why I would be confused as to why as his teammate, you would necessarily want him to pitch. Because you can say, regardless of his desire of, in this case, Stephen Strasburg's desire to pitch, objectively, um, it would appear as though pitchers in this state do not pitch, do not do not pitch to their uh, full uh, level of talent, and therefore, it, it would necessarily decrease the odds of winning a game. And this is, this is not just any regular season game. This is a, a a high leverage game,
1: right? Um, yeah, I think there's something about uh, about locker room culture and the idea of of what being a uh, a man is all about. Right. So this is a question
0: of masculinity, right? What, what I think I
1: think in part it is, and the, the idea that uh, even if you're sick, you should go out there and. Uh, you know, I As I mentioned in the post, we when Jordan had that, I can't remember what year it was, but when he had that finals performance, when he allegedly had the flu, uh, he's allotted for that. That adds to his legend. Uh, while he wasn't ill, we think of Kurt Schilling's bloody sock game. He was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, that adds to the legend. Uh, Willis Reed, of course, coming out of the locker room with a uh, a muscle pull. And there's something that we teammates, I guess the public, expect athletes to perform under the weather. But even beyond the locker room, I think a lot of people, regardless of profession, there, there's some people that take pride in going to work mm-hmm. sick and never missing a day. Uh, there is something about that maybe just in American culture where uh, that people take pride in not succumbing to illness, even though in everyday type of workplace environment, you could make other people ill by showing up in your performance. You should probably stay home for everyone's benefit, including your own. But there's something about athletic culture and I guess American culture at large where uh, yeah, we there's a, we want people to still show up when they feel terrible, <laughs> regardless of the outcome.
0: Let me now. Let me ask you: What evidence is there, or is there not, uh, uh, pointing to how how, uh, how actually ill Steven Strasburg might have been?
1: Well, that's. I think that's the great unknown, and I haven't. I don't know if there's been a definitive report out since the start about how uh, well or unwell he was feeling. But apparently, you know, I guess he was on antibiotics, which, if he had flu-like symptoms, that would that'd be a, a virus, so antibiotics wouldn't do anything. Whoa, so maybe he was dealing with a bacterial issue that the antibiotics cleared up overnight, and he was feeling much better. But apparently that morning of game four, he called, uh, called up the pitching coach, um, Maddox, and said uh, he wanted the ball for whatever reason, whether he was feeling a lot better or a lot of the uh, public backlash had, uh, he'd become aware of it and had wounded him and he felt like he needed to prove something. Whatever the cause, there was a change of, of uh, heart and decision-making on in the morning of, of Game Four, mm-hmm. so uh, that's interesting. But it, uh, maybe it's possible he was just feeling a lot better that day. Uh, well, but it, I don't know if there's it, a definitive report since then.
0: You know, here we have an instance of um, life uh, mimicking art. Is because just this morning, um, you know, I was wondering if you would be able to make the appearance in Fangraphs Audio, <laughs> and and you you called up and you said, Carson. Give me the mic. That's what you said. <laughs> That's right. You said, "Give me the mic," and I will. I will participate.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I, I've been shamed into this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> shame is, um, as you and I alluded to in a, la- in a later conversation, shame is a powerful motivator. It certainly, or is. the prospect of shame, attempting to avoid shame.
1: Uh, it's important that we fit in with our peer group, mm-hmm. right? And that we're not ostracized. And we care, most people care about what people think of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I do wonder if Strasbourg was in part shamed into making that start.
0: Do you, what do you think of, uh, just to understand the the sort of rhetorical powers of shame, uh, to what degree do you, Travis Sochik, practice conditional love, whether your son uh, your family. To what degree has it been practiced on you? <laughs> Do you tell your son Sam, for example? Uh, yes, I will. I will love you if you, uh, for example, if you leave Dad alone for two hours while I try and while I try and get a little sleep. Because I was out. I was uh, out last night hanging, out, you know, trying to get quotes right. from Jose Ramirez. You know, after midnight.
1: Uh, yeah, we didn't have that that type of conversation exactly but i think when you're dealing with a two-year-old mm-hmm. uh, there are sh- you do deal with shame like when you're trying to potty train you don't want the child to be embarrassed because of an accident you don't want to shame them uh, you, you don't want them to have a negative association with something because of shame mm-hmm. uh and i don't know if that's a perfect analogy or comparison but uh yeah, I think within a, a family setting, uh, it's a different dynamic than in a uh, professional. public, yeah. professional locker room setting. I think there, there's different rules governing each. I, so I would think shame, uh, in many ways, is different within a family setting, but it's also where shame could be also a, a great. The most powerful of uh, the turns
0: too. Oh yes, it can be leveraged uh, sort of, yes. <laughs> Quite effectively <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, no, I suppose Yeah, In a in locker room it is a little bit different It's also interesting too probably uh, I would have to assume There's some difference Or maybe I'd be surprised by how little difference there is uh, By the By the way Shame manifests itself um, in an amateur sport versus professional sports setting, right? Because it would seem as though in a professional sporting atmosphere, there is a bit, you know, you you have players who have proven their their merits, right? And you expect them to, I guess, maintain some level of um, d- dependability because of the, that's there because um, they have self interest in doing that, right? The, the more valuable sure. they can, a more, the more valuable a player can make himself to his team, um, then the more the more he's likely to be compensated. And so, sure. so there's self interest there. Whereas, in like you know, if you're on a high school baseball team, which is really the extent of um, of my experiences in baseball, um, then it's much. Then there's almost maybe shame plays an even greater role because there's no other sort of compensation, except what? I mean, possibly the adoration of your classmates, but that's not necessarily, I mean, if, you know, in my high school, it was not like it was a stalwart baseball program, you know what I mean? It was barely barely right. registered with anyone, so uh, maybe it's just...
1: Right, but yeah, if you screwed up or you weren't willing to perform ill, you... You're trapped in your community as an amateur athlete, uh, where Steven Strasburg could go home to San Diego in the offseason.
0: Yeah, <laughs> or, or or he could, you know, if things got so bad, right, and this is not Strasburg necessarily, but any player could essentially compel his club to trade him. I mean, obviously Strasburg, pretty much at any salary, would be would be highly tradable. Um, and I'd actually I actually don't know. Embarrassingly, I don't know... To what degree he's compensated Do you have an idea off the top of your head?
1: He's uh, Oh, he
0: signed a big extension
1: He did, he's in the 8 figures now yeah, yeah. I believe yeah.
0: He signed a $175 million contract
1: Which right now looks Even with his injury history, looks like a pretty good deal Right, well
0: that's only, um, I mean that's less than He's making $15 million a year And yeah. he's, I mean that's less than Two wins at this point
1: So He should be – he should feel ashamed of the contract.
0: You know, he basically – so so he was worth roughly, uh, per our calculations, right? Um, He was worth roughly $45 million this year. And he was um, was remunerated $15 million. He was essentially – he essentially took care of three of the seven years of his contract this year. Mm. Which, I don't know. It's – I mean, it's good. Good for the Nationals, I guess. Not great. It it's is not great for. It's not great for uh, Steven Strasburg. I mean, he still ends up with, you know, fifteen million dollars before taxes, which I'm sure he will not. You know, re- regret. Yeah, that's
1: why the owner share of revenue keeps going up. it's not. It's not like Strasburg's. Po- <laughs> it's not like he's bad off, but the Nationals might earn a surplus value and a significant one off yeah. that. But that's a subject for another yeah, day. A subject for another day, I suppose. All right,
0: so we don't necessarily know how how actually ill he was. It is possible.
1: I did hear one. I did hear one other theory floated, and that was uh, that maybe he is so his routine is so mm-hmm. important to him that once he knew he was set up to start game five, that he did not want to alter his routine at all, and he was so rigid uh, that he you know, expressed to coach and staff or whomever that no game five is where I'm most comfortable and I, I'd rather not pitch in game four. So maybe that that could be another uh another possible uh beyond illness, another And reason. that's
0: interesting too because I think was it was it you or is it maybe Eno Seris uh wrote wrote a post about um Oh no, yes. Eno Eno wrote a post on the essentially the enthusiasm or, or the degree, the, the willingness of, on behalf of uh, relievers and or starters to participate in a bullpenning type of game. And it seemed overwhelmingly, at least the the, the, the relievers to whom Eno spoke, were they, they were they were willing to essentially enter the game at any point in a playoff situation. Uh, I think he had spoken with maybe, I don't know if it was David Robertson, Jake McGee maybe was one of them. Um, Hunter Strickland, certainly, with the Giants seemed very enthusiastic. He said, I'll pitch it any time. Um, and, but then, but then, you, you know, also spoke with Brandon McCarthy, who of course is used most often as a starter. And, um, uh, McCarthy said, mm, it would be difficult to adjust. He said, because I have, you know, pretty well-established, um, uh, you know, ritual essentially and, um, anything in, in any case where I'm not able to participate in that ritual uh, I'm t- I would uh, be concerned about my performance
1: yeah, I guess that you would suspect the starting pitcher would be mm-hmm. more rigid uh, than the, the relief pitcher who by just definition of his job has to be a little more flexible especially in right. today's game
0: yeah okay
1: but uh yeah I don't, I don't know what Whatever happened, he went out and he threw one of the best games. <laughs> it was so good. The change up, he used it really well, and he was phenomenal. And it's too, uh, it's, a, it's a shame that <laughs> we won't be able to see if you could have bottled that up and continued it through the postseason. Uh, yeah.
0: Listen, um, what do we got here? Well, before we before we continue, so I think that the Strasburg situation, I think we uh, we pulled back the curtain a little bit we you and I had to essentially uh we had to ensure that the chronology of events uh, was you know seemed to reflect the reality of things and we also had to determine for ourselves what the actual series of events was I think we settled it it seems to have gone okay all right
1: yeah yeah I still would have uh, I was okay with the Nationals' approach. They, For one reason, they had to win two games regardless, so he was going to start. Uh, he was going to start. If they won game four, which I needed to, he would have started in a must-win game five. So I was all about, without knowing all the details, I had no problem, really, with them holding him back. But it turned out <laughs> that I'm an idiot, and he was fine starting game four, and he was great. Uh, but... I think too much was just made of the idea that, uh, about him starting game five. I, I thought, I thought it was okay. I thought it was rational and logical. Uh, and maybe it was an example of the public will, uh, forcing a player and a, a team to bend a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and that's all, that's all I have to, I will, that's my closing statement.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you about a, a more important question. Um, something that we did not, Address during your most recent fortnightly appearance in the program. And that is um, your second Hardball Dynasty championship in the BBWAA Hardball Dynasty League. You, of course, are the owner, uh, general manager, and manager of the Montreal Sacre Bleu,
1: I am the Cherry Jones of the mm-hmm. Montreal Sacre Blue. Yeah.
0: Let's hope that you have a bit more in the way of <laughs> moral backbone <laughs> than uh, than that than a certain cowboy's owner. And also maybe more of your original face.
1: Just just in the sense that I have many I am assuming all leadership in the city. You have
0: your fingerprints uh, all over the Sacre uh, Blue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um um, you also different in that you've you've had great success recently. You've had you've championships to your name. <laughs> can you explain? Uh, I, I will hear of uh, um, play as best I can. The role of sideline reporter, right? Um, <laughs> oh, this is yes, please do. Can, can you tell me? Can you tell me what what you were thinking? How it feels um, to win a second uh, consecutive championship, Travis Sajic?
1: <laughs> well. Uh... Yeah, it was a rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. And the second one is uh maybe it's more validating because then it's not a fluke that you won one and winning consecutive titles is puts you in a uh puts Montreal in a more elite uh, circle of of, uh, of accomplishment. There's only I went through the entire history of the league and there's only been three two three peats. Uh Mexico City did it once. Sub- no, no, I believe that
0: is Dick Piacoro's Mexico City. It Coro, is Nick it? Piacoro, yeah.
1: the, uh, who's the, the top talent in this league. Uh, and then some, I don't know, some team based in Salt Lake City earlier in the league's history done it. So yeah, just to chase history, uh, you know, that's fun. Val- it's val- validating. Can you tell me? And, uh, can you- <laughs> other than that, I do feel a little bit... Uh, you know, I've, it was a Cleveland-Montreal rematch, and to beat the same foe two years in a row, my heart—I do have some sympathy to, to go to think about being in the other situation. Where and, think, and sorry, who's the discussed before? Who's the owner uh, of
0: uh, this? Who's in charge of this? Uh, this.
1: Uh, oh, Zach Mize. Zach Mizele, the, right. uh, who, who covers the Indians for uh, the Athletic? In Cleveland, so and we, uh, so we know each other and we encounter each other, uh, and that has made things a bit awkward, <laughs> the progressive field club, press box. But hey, uh, yeah, we're, we're there to compete. We're we're both trying to win. So. Now, we, when
0: was the last thing you saw uh, Zach in person? Then was it was it after your victory?
1: It was. It was
0: uh, last week. Did you bring it to yeah. Did you bring it to his attention at all that uh, you had you recently met in the World Series was the BBWA <laughs> Hardball Dynasty League?
1: He was he was aware, and uh, everyone was aware of the situation. Uh, but yeah, so that made it a little. I, I do have some sympathy, where I, I, as we've said before in this program, that mm-hmm. I think losing is the bitterness of defeat is a stronger emotion than the the ecstasy of victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why that is, uh, and maybe part of it's just tormenting yourself, second guessing decisions, and. Uh, all that sort of thing. So I do have some sympathy for the loser in all situations. Uh, But yeah, but it was good to win. Uh, And hey, are you ready for season 45? We're nearing the end of spring training in our simulated world.
0: We are. I've been making a lot of moves. I have uh, whittled my uh, payroll down almost entirely. I believe I have – there's – uh, there's a means by which you can s- s- look at the collective ratings for each organization, whether it's in their starting lineup, all their hitters, etc. I believe I have the lowest rated team by almost every possible measure. <clears throat> um, Is this
1: by design? Is well, this well, a, well, are allow you going me? towards a dramatic Astro-style rebuild?
0: Well, I actually – I continue to, as I will always, I continue to harbor um, notions of contending.
1: Oh. Um Good
0: for you. Despite the <laughs> <laughs>
1: never say die attitude, I like that.
0: Yeah, I think I think I understand the game a-, a little bit better. I performed I performed a couple more series of multilinear regressions. Travis Suchick, have you? Yeah, I've been performing multilinear regressions over here at my house, <laughs> and. Uh... And uh, I think I might be, have a better sense of what's, uh, what does and does not correlate emotionally. You know, there's not actually necessarily a direct correlation between overall team ratings and wins on the field.
1: Yeah, the overall rating is, I believe, heavily influenced by uh, a player's durability and stamina, which is important in some areas, but... Uh, you do ultimately want good players on the field. So that can sway the overall rate. That can inflate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, the overall is a good good guiding tool. Yeah,
0: it's a good guiding tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but no, of course, um, very very much prepared. I think we just have a day or two till the regular season begins. We're playing spring training games right now. Uh, we're able to sign international free agents. Have you scored any big international, international free agents, Travis? Uh, I...
1: I'm itching to get back in that market, but because of the budget limitations and that my fan base is demanding this team <laughs> try to win again, I my prospect budget uh, is, I think it's like 16th in the league or something. Oh, is it? Or maybe, maybe a little, no, I think it's like 20th. Mm.
0: Well, I've already, uh, I've already. Justin
1: Doom actually has a spreadsheet of everyone's max bids, uh, Potential max bids in international free agency. I think of like twentieth.
0: How, now, how does wow. he? Uh, you know, pardon me. How how has he uh, um, calculated that? Because you now it is you, one is able to see everyone else's um, their their major league payroll, I think, or overall payroll. But it's right. but you cannot necessarily see how they have budgeted the, their other uh, their other available dollars, whether it be to you know, to coaches or to um, scouting, et cetera.
1: You, you can see the difference between their, their cap and the amount they've actually spent on payroll. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's that transfer with, without bogging people down the details uh, that you can transfer to prospect payroll. And he accounts for the amount of uh, first round, supplemental round, high draft picks and what the, he estimates a bonus pool uh that those will account for hmm. so he it's somewhat scientific, and uh I guess a lot of us have too much free time that are <laughs>
0: uh, some of us uh, we actually use time that um is not oughtn't really be designated as free um we right. will use that same time um to <laughs> um, t- uh, to the end of um you, you know, to, to, um, uh, working with our Hardball Dynasty team.
1: So, but really, I should for the past two seasons. Really, a lot of success goes out to my my scouting department. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> <the ice. laughs> Although I don't have any advanced scouting, so I, I guess I can't put too much stress in scouting. But I've maxed out training medical staff, so mm-hmm. those guys do a great job.
0: Coaching staff,
1: excellent. <laughs> so really so I, I am only a small part in this machine. Really,
0: now you you, you haven't assigned a lot to advanced scouting yet because you've switched mostly to use. A combination of video and pitch tracking. Have you? Are you guilty? I know that you've written multiple posts, Travis, about the uh, the anxiety prevalent in the game, um, about the influence of pitch tracking, what it might mean for, in particular, professional scouts. Are you right. guilty of the very same of committing the very same crimes, or you know, it, not 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 official crimes, but of making the same choices that that you accuse. You know, of which you've accused certain major right. league organizations?
1: Uh, yes, I have. I have, I have zero <laughs> dollars committed to advanced scouting. So, uh, yeah, I, I, am guilty of that. Yeah. And it's, it's not quite the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I am guilty. In this game, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> we do, we do have a strong, uh, workforce of, of high school. High school prep level scouts and international scouts, but we are, I guess, as an organization, we're solely devoted to video scouting
0: and, at the uh, professional
1: and analytics at the professional the level.
0: Professional level, yeah. Apparently, it yes. hasn't hurt you.
1: Uh, and the other thing is, in this, if you're scouting well at the high school level or putting finances in there, those reports you get, if you save them, uh, they should give you a good idea of how the player develops. So, yeah, there are some loopholes involved. But, yeah, I guess I'm i am I'm guilty of, like, firing my advanced scouting staff. And, you know, I told reporters they would be replaced in some other way, mm-hmm. and they never have been. Yeah. So...
0: Hey, you know, I'd like to do briefly, I'd like to perform a little bit of um, rhetorical analysis and some of your messages to the, to the league chat board. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's always... I, I feel like, you, you know, you, you and I we talk quite a bit of course I read your writing um, <laughs> and, and so I feel like I, I have a pretty good sense of your not your biases your concerns and I also maybe have a better understanding of um you know what you value as an analyst etc so like I see something from you I see something from you along these lines um this is from a couple days ago. You write... Uh, <laughs> this is from the 7th. So it's actually a little over a week ago. You write... You talk about Luis Mendoza. Now, Luis Mendoza, center fielder, is a player whom I traded to your Montreal SAC of Blue last year in exchange for Felipe Franco.
1: Indeed.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> you write Luis... Now, I, here's something I know about Luis Mendoza. <laughs> is I know that he uh, is only under contract what till the end of the year. You're paying yes. him nine million dollars, and he is thirty-two, which leads me to believe that maybe he's lost a point or two here or there. Maybe not. Maybe not true.
1: It's lost a. Little, he's pretty much pretty the much same so player, but right. he has he's lost he's a step. step. So, yeah.
0: And here here is Travis Sodick announcing the fact that he's available for trade. He's available for
1: trade. <laughs> still available. Yes. Luis
0: Mendoza is available. And now now what you what you go ahead and you do here is you uh I say essentially attempt to <laughs> to <laughs> highlight some of his accolades. Yeah. Right. Hey, I'm trying to
1: sell something. Yeah, you here.
0: say season 44 All-Star, we're in season 45 now. So he was an All-Star last year. You say season 44 All-Star. You <laughs> 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 Now, we don't necessarily know what the criteria for, uh, for being selected an All-Star is. Maybe you have a better sense. It's based on numbers. And, yeah. and you say, Se- yes. season 44 All-Star, a champion. He was, on, he, These are all he facts. was on a, world, uh, he was on a <laughs> world Series team and should be Type A after the season. Looking, and here's where you show your hand. You say, looking for a prospect or pre-ARB talent. Now, if one mm-hmm. if one examines Travis Achatzich's roster, what he or she will find is a collection of pre-arb talent. Is that right?
1: It is that right? well, you just like when we look at the teams that have track records of long-term mm-hmm. success, like the the Cardinals of the last of really this entire mm-hmm. century, the Braves of the late night of the nineties and early two. They always had a uh, influx of pre-arb talent, and I think when you look at uh, Nick's team in yeah. this league, uh, he has a ridiculously low payroll this year, and he always has young players coming up. So, just like in the real game, yeah, I think there's an absolute premium on having that minim- minimum wage production.
0: So, so, so here's another here's an instance where you are essentially uh, attempting to exploit the. <laughs> You exploit the um, uh, players who are still subject to team control, right? So you. So maybe well, well, on the one hand, Travis Sacek has pointed fingers at the, um, you know, essentially the language of the CBA, the degree to which it exploits young talent. Here we have Travis Sacek, owner, general manager, feudal lord of the Montreal Sacre Bleu. Attempting to exploit the labor of young workers. True or false, Travis? True. False, Travis.
1: Uh, true. true. I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's, it's funny how your motivations can change in different chairs. Now tell me, to, to
0: what degree do you do you feel as though it's relevant that Luis Mendoza, a computer-generated ball player, is a champion? <laughs> No, just, just tell
1: me. <laughs> well, he was, <laughs> he was starting. He was a starting yeah. player for a team that won a championship and quite a few games in the regular yeah. season. So, uh, uh, it's not just, it's not super.
0: You think it's totally just, irrelevant. It wasn't
1: superfluous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't superfluous. It wasn't hyperbole. This guy played a role. It's just, and for a team maybe in dire need, uh, uh, on the win curve somewhere where one or two wins could really help, maybe it's worth paying him nine million, but nine million in this game where the average payrolls probably about i don't know seventy eighty million it's probably more like eighteen million in real world mm-hmm. baseball dollars today. Well, I can actually Good tell day. you
0: because i cal- i've calculated the price per win in our league <laughs> have you yeah oh, okay it's two million dollars a win in our league two million okay so so a win so it's it actually be more like Wait what sorry what was the amount that you said How much, uh, was, he? How much
1: was he Well he's well he's worth he's be, he's owed 9 million this year
0: He's owed 9 million right So that would assume 9 million in our league would assume a four and a half win player which would be roughly uh 36 million um no, thirty-four million-dollar player. What do you think about that? Hmm. Does that does that sound right to you?
1: Well, we should go to uh, August's spreadsheet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because August is kind enough to to share with the. Uh,
0: I'm trying to. I think I bookmarked it. <clears throat> you bookmarked it? Did you, why, did you not download it? I just bookmarked it. Yeah, you can download. I it. lost it. Yeah. Well, I have it right here. So I'm saying a $9 million player should – a $9 million in the open market should be producing – he should be producing uh, four and a half wins.
1: Yeah, and I think Bendoza was like a three and a half win player last year. Uh Aha, but you're also
0: neglecting the wins he produced for the Hartford disappointments before moving over.
1: Oh. Oh. I think that was minimal if not negative, right?
0: uh, No, 0.3. So you're up to a 3.7 win player.
1: Okay. So he's a little underwater. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Are you willing, Would you be willing to pick up a little bit of salary for someone who was uh, looking to acquire him?
1: Dependent upon the return, yes. yes. <laughs> what I did not mention is his his uh, his health, his <laughs> his, uh, his twenty four health rating. Uh, right. Which I did not you, uh, disclose all the medicals when I.
0: <laughs> you you expect well you. <laughs> you're, this is called two preller, two I, preller.
1: I did preller a little bit, yeah,
0: yeah but you but but that, that is publicly available information it is, yeah, it is, but you're going to require a a prospective trade partner to perform that sort of due diligence him or herself
1: uh, indeed, I yeah. once had a a trade executed where the the acquiring owner didn't realize the player out of options, and it was a pretty significant prospect, so that became. Uh, it, was, it was Dan Hayes of uh, Fargo, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that became a, a thing where he just the uh, the negligence
0: not <laughs> to be aware. of yeah, did you sense to, that the, he the was not, Did you sense that he was not aware
1: of it? Uh, I didn't, and to be honest, I wasn't aware of it either. <laughs> it was just <laughs> total incompetence all around. Okay, because yeah. I will promote players at the end of the year to uh, to try to. Get an extra, uh, development cycle in mm-hmm. this game. And I'd, I'd done it so often, he'd I'd exhausted his, his options when he was like 20 years old. Uh, but yeah, so that became kind of a, a fun thing in our text thread. Uh, the, uh, the not understanding that Johnny Hansen was out of options. Oh, Johnny so, Hansen, huh? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, where does Johnny he's Hansen a, He's a
1: good player. He's a good player. He's a six win pitcher. Uh, but yeah, he should. Uh, he he did lose, I guess, a year of control because of that. Uh, my aggressive player development promotion uh, <laughs> practice.
0: Now is Johnny Hanson still in the league? Yeah,
1: yeah, oh, yeah he's one of. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's one of the better
0: pitchers. He's a workhorse. He is. In fact, all of uh, sorry, who
1: owns this Fargo team? Uh, Dan Hayes. He he covers the White Sox for CSN in and, and Chicago. Oh, of
0: course, I know Dan Hayes. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah. Yeah, I've actually met him. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so Dan Hayes, you know that's interesting. I had forgotten who that I knew. Dan Hayes, we uh, we met it uh, during a White Sox Red Sox series at one. Point. You're actually
1: division rivals, correct? That's it, That's yes.
0: exactly right. Yeah, the Fargo Sixty Ones. Yeah, 61s. yeah. Um, is the team that he owns. And but he has a bunch of workhorses. He has a classic. He has four starters. That's like and full stop. Basically, uh, all made all of them made over thirty starts. He's going the opposite direction. Of the league, right? Right. And um, uh, they all threw more than two hundred innings. And Johnny Hansen, who, who you know, made thirty-six starts, and must have averaged <laughs> seven innings per start—seven, eight innings. He threw two hundred fifty-four innings. Yeah, they are not bullpenning in Fargo. No, they are not. Uh, whereas in Hartford, as you might be aware, uh, we have our pitchers set to uh, our starting pitcher set to the minimum pitch count, and um uh, we have only Did you
1: do that in. In the entire season last year, yeah, I did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I knew you were doing. I knew you're engaging in some uh, tandem, bullpenning type strategies.
0: I started off at a tandem, but then I said I want to keep. Uh, the, I want to. I want to. I want to keep my manager's options open. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, that's not what I mean at all. I mean my my bench manager essentially. <clears throat> Isn't that right? Because uh, we don't have the. Um, and I, you know, it's I got I have to give it. I know you've been giving some credit to some some <laughs> some <laughs> some people in your Hi. organization. Tim Snow on the bench. Uh he just has a great mind. He's a young he's a younger bench coach. I mean wh- what, a st- what a st- is what is strategist is. I can see here by looking at the uh the chess piece icon on his, <laughs> his coach's profile that this guy knows baseball. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, we,
1: yeah we, we would be interested. In <laughs> Tim Snow should he ever come available. What's the best? Uh,
0: uh, what's the best name you have on a on on your team? You think?
1: Uh, on my my major league team, sure.
0: Or your organization?
1: Uh, in the organization, we have a uh, a young man, a young pitcher, first name Moose, family name Fox. Moose, Moose Fox. Fox.
0: That's a good one. So, yeah, that's two animals. That's a
1: good one. <laughs> That's a pretty great name.
0: Now I might actually have one of his relatives. I have Moose Roosevelt.
1: <laughs> two players named Moose,
0: <clears throat> uh,
1: but these these are all I guess is to create the uh, the the fictional names. Mm-hmm. They are all names from uh, a major league player database.
0: So not I'm necessarily pretty, the two names together. I think right?
1: Not not together, right. but uh, the, uh, the the family name and the, the first name. They should all they they're all Tied to a former major league
0: player. Yeah. I have a player. Uh, my, my the best name I think in the entire organization is a player whom I just signed named Jako Gustaf. It's a great Jocko name. is. A, I actually, I actually, really was hoping to name uh, my son Jocko. <laughs> and my wife said no. That's what her main her main response was was no.
1: Well, you at least have this.
0: I have this right, so I actually, it made this yeah. player more appealing to me
1: what have you uh found that what do you think core to your well, this is proprietary so <laughs> it also might be it might be not
0: be worth anything i think is another yeah. um, another possibility we have to recognize
1: uh, what's some of the decision making that's been based upon your your analytics department's findings your decision sciences
0: oh you well you're exactly right in that it is proprietary travis <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, hey, I had to ask. Yeah. I would be a core reporter. Yeah, uh,
0: uh, yeah, no, it's uh, oh, it's highly proprietary. Yeah, I actually think here's what here's one suggestion I'll make, and I, again, could be very wrong, is I think that you can actually uh, I think there's some good deals on the the low end of the free agent market.
1: Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. If you wait late, and not unlike the real game, if you wait late into the free agency season, yeah. There, there are very good deals to be had.
0: For example, I signed a player named Adrian Williamson at the start of last year. Uh, and he's he's turned out to be quite a competent shortstop slash center fielder for the Hartford disappointments. Okay. Um, worth the uh, – he was worth a couple wins, I think, and I signed him for one, oh. one $1.5 million dollars, something like that.
1: Yeah, this is the kind of player that Billy Bean would sign out in Oakland. And you're like, why does he do this? And, hey, look, he's a productive player.
0: There you go, yeah. I also recently signed Slick Romano. Now has Slick Romano ever played for Montreal? Uh I don't believe so. No, but he has he has uh put together some very strong seasons. He's a thirty six year old now, he's an older guy. Uh but he will be uh he'll be doing some he'll be doing some platooning.
1: Yeah, look at Adrian.
0: Adrian Williamson.
1: Yeah. Nice season nice season. Yep.
0: Yeah, good season I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm paying him yeah, uh, one point four million dollars. What do you think about that? Uh, looks
1: like he, he got some nice surplus value. <laughs>
0: <Adrian Lewis laughs> it himself. does look like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does it does look like that? We'll see. We'll see how uh, how things go. That's the only way you can do it is to see how things go. Yeah. Do you,
1: how do you feel, How do you value defense and offense in this game?
0: Mm, not. Uh, there's some loose ends there.
1: It seems like you value run scoring. If you, to play Adrian it, uh slightly below the recommended radiance. Yes. It's short and center. But maybe he won't embarrass himself with those positions.
0: Well can I tell you and it actually does this much this might sh- this actually might shed some light or be a way to think about like how the Cardinals proceed, for example. Is I have a number of players who are sort of who are sort of like overqualified as second baseman or third baseman or center fielders, but maybe not maybe not actual shortstops if that makes sense. So athletes is what I'm, and, and I put these guys in the corner <laughs> outfield as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. A team full of athletes. A team full of athletes. And you, I mean the Cardinals. Like I don't think you would ever make the case that they. <laughs>
1: when I think about the disappointments, I just think about athletes out there <laughs> in batting practice, shaking flies. <laughs> There's a team of
0: athletes. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know how, you know how I describe them is they're ball players. There's a difference between like a you know like a physical specimen and a ball player, you yeah. know these guys are ball players, travis they go out there they leave yeah. it on the field, do they get their uniforms dirty, maybe
1: <laughs> they get their ones and zeros dirty mm-hmm. uh but these 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 coded figures mm-hmm. yeah they're also ball players,
0: they're also ball players, yeah, but uh yeah,
1: what's there are real emotions involved in this game, even though it's just a, it's a simulation, and these are all just a series of, of code mm-hmm. being plugged into some machine, and it spits out some result. There's still, uh, there's still, still emotions involved. Like for instance, I traded for Enrique Crespo from Fargo, from your division rival this, this year. Who, uh, he's underperformed his ratings for like the first four seasons of his career. And Dan Hayes is just frustrated with him yeah. uh, and figures, well, for some reason, uh, you know, the, the, the sim engine is not liking these
0: this combination, combination of, numbers, of yeah. ratings.
1: Uh, but I believe he's got to be better than what he's shown to date. So I am playing on the idea that, or I'm trying to profit off of Dan Hayes's uh, frustration at some yeah. level. Uh uh, because a couple years ago he wouldn't, and I have felt similarly about some players where they're underachieving. It's like this guy's really in a slump, even though it seems like that one, slumps cannot possibly exist in this mm-hmm. game. Uh, they do. Now, would you get emotional about guys? So you think
0: he's going? If you
1: own a guy long enough, you get emotionally mm-hmm. invested in a player, and they're not even real.
0: Do you think? The, <laughs> do you think Enrique Crespo is going to benefit from a change of, change of scenery?
1: I do. I do. I, <laughs> Well, my my ballpark's a little more offensive. Uh, it's a little more hitter mm-hmm. friendly, and uh, yeah, I also believe that maybe the Sim Engine is just you've rolled a lot of snake eyes,
0: for hmm,
1: Chris. Well, and he'll benefit. There'll be some regression to the mean. So he has because he has
0: now. This is he has twenty two hundred at bats.
1: Yes, he does. A large I mean, sample. Most of what
0: we know from sample sizes, at least. For humans, is that um, after 2,200 at-bats, you're probably looking at something like true talent, you know?
1: Right. His true talent is kind of, yeah. But his minor league track, I, I originally signed this player, so I know him well. <laughs> I know his family, <laughs> his parents. Uh, and he excelled in our system. And it was, it was in a trade to, to, to Fargo, Fargo, where he just, yeah, I, I just... It, didn't work there, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. That's a challenge trade. Yeah. Uh, I love challenge trades.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so you got Enrique Crispin. Is he going to be your starting second baseman then?
1: He's an athlete, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a little bit like your your organizational yeah. philosophy in the Cardinals. Uh, when I think of mosaic, mm-hmm. I think of. I think of Carson <laughs> yeah. and Julie, and uh, so that both and excellent, excellent fashions and trends, and yeah. But he's an athlete, and we'll stick them, He'll rotate around. He could be like a yeah. Zobris kind of guy, who because uh, actually, I think player rest is somewhat important in this game, and to have well, your bench doesn't drop off so so uh, precipitously is a uh, nice luxury to have. So he could be like a super sub mm. player too.
0: I like where you're going with it yeah
1: no. uh, you think the audience enjoys chats about <laughs> our uh, simulated baseball league
0: I think that um, I should say
1: a, your audience your program
0: no uh, uh let's see well, well um here's what I want to say I, i'm not I'm not concerned about that is is uh, number is number one because um, I wouldn't want someone to be concerned about it. Yeah. Is that okay? I don't want I you to th- be concerned, th- I about it. I want people, you to feel at
1: ease. People want uh, the author, the host, to be themselves, right?
0: Sure. Don't we right. want everyone to be fully, right. them, fully yeah. themselves? Yeah. We do. Yeah. I don't want, don't want that. So, let's see. Um, the other thing I think is what? how real... I don't know how, I mean, if you're watching a baseball game, this is not solving crimes. You know what I mean? This is not bringing food to the needy. Right. It's uh, it's uh, all very much a fiction. These are all fictions. They're fabrications. They're all games. So I would say that I'm not, I would say that I regard it roughly as real as the actual game of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah i don't know uh
1: i like it's a it's a healthy perspective i think
0: yeah hey you know what
1: i'm i'm on edge, you've, I'm on uh, edge. I think you
0: i i think you fulfilled your i think you've fulfilled your obligation here
1: well we're at fifty nine minutes and twenty seven seconds
0: yeah there we are i don't know if i have any uh follow up questions for you um you wrote about Matt Weeders being endangered. No, about um him being cursed.
1: Yes, I, I was never a Matt Weeders a person I'm I believe is a lovely man, but mm-hmm. I never liked the signing. And uh okay. yeah. yeah, we well, I think it, we're all familiar with what occurred on uh,
0: That was yeah. one where they had already what they'd already traded for Derek Norris. <laughs> and then uh Right, and then Boris right. stepped in. <laughs> right. Right. to to talk directly to the uh, the learners i think i think it was maybe a Yeah,
1: i do credit boris for that tactic of just doing the uh, the flanking maneuver around the uh you know the the, the you know the front, office, front offices that have become ever uh savvier and more uh data based and rational decision making and he goes Straight to the owner and works the emotional human element, I think. Good Whatever for, good for him, him, right?
0: Yeah, you know, I spoke, uh, um, let's see, on Friday or Thursday afternoon, maybe, I spoke with Mike Hattery. Oh, okay. Um, uh, of uh, Who was the resident for the month of September. A Cleveland and,
1: guy, I believe.
0: Yes, yeah, right, and right. He, he writes for a wedding for next year.
1: Right.
0: He now He lives in Cleveland as well. He lives in the East Side. Oh, Um, in University Heights, is that right?
1: Okay, yeah, Uh, not too far from here.
0: Right. I asked him what I asked him what he thought of you know Bay Village.
1: (laughs) Oh, was this recorded? Of the in fact, I'm going
0: to be uh, I'm going to be editing it this afternoon. Now, what now? What do you think?
1: What did he think of Bay Village?
0: Newer, he said. Newer, maybe a little bit cooler now. Uh, younger, maybe some younger folks over there at this point.
1: I think there is an influx of uh, young families because the school system is rated fairly well. But this, but this house was built in 1941, so uh, there's like a lot of old kind of lake cottagey kind of homes mm-hmm. here. Uh, and we purchased one for. Uh, yeah, it was, it's actually a robust housing market.
0: It, yeah, let me ask you: What do you uh, can you? Tell me now. He just bought a home in University Heights. Tell me well, what do you think about that neighborhood. What you know about that neighborhood?
1: That is closer to the uh, kind of the cultural center of of Cleveland. Uh, there's a couple of universities over there, hence the name, and the Art Museum, uh, the, the Symphony Hall, the orchestra, the home of the orchestra, mm-hmm. Cleveland Orchestra, world renowned Cleveland yes. Orchestra, and uh, yeah, and it's pretty. It's, it's uh, fairly well connected to the, the city center, too. So it's a more – this Bay Village is more suburban in nature. That probably feels more uh, – Cleveland Heights is more urban, I would say, in nature.
0: Uh, if, if you had to guess where Gramophone Magazine had ranked the Cleveland Orchestra in, the, uh, in its list of top 20 world's greatest orchestras.
1: So it made the top 20.
0: It did make the top huh. 20, yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah.
1: I'll I'll be an optimist and I'll say eight.
0: <laughs> you Travis were not optimistic enough. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Seventh. Mm hmm. <laughs> it was made great by George Zell. Did you know that?
1: Uh, I didn't. I have seen some performances there and I I believe they are quite good, but I uh, I'm not an analyst of uh Musical performance, so I, I can't say for sure.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> do, you, do you have? A we sense? were
1: big league. We went there as a family when I was probably like, I don't know, twelve years ago. I was much younger, and uh, I think it was my uh, my mother who asked because it's a fairly large building, and she asked where the main lobby was, and the the usher corrected her. <laughs> it said uh, you mean the grand foyer <laughs> <laughs> and we that's we've never forgotten that as a family, and uh we uh we laugh about
0: it to this day you into what, right? there is you... a
1: sense of shame initially that this uh that western family was not uh you know, cultured enough to know that the lobby was we should needed to be corrected and called refer to it as the grand foyer, but uh
0: yeah. Now, do you have a grand foyer in, in your new home in Cleveland? <laughs> uh,
1: okay. We do not. We do have a very small uh, uh, little chamber when you enter where you – a closet. You can tile floor and you can take off mm-hmm. your shoes. But it, but it's not an impressive uh, <laughs> entryway. Now,
0: let me – I was going to ask you one question um, re- re- relevant to your, your new home. And also, this could be a question about your previous home too, is <clears> – <throat> Um, it, it, it's just this simple question: Is do you have weeds in your grass in your lawn?
1: We, our lawn needs some. Uh, it doesn't need some love and care. Do you, what do yeah, what is it? And in our previous home, we had weeds too.
0: What, what kind of weeds? You got a, like a you got crabgrass.
1: Some some crabgrass. Uh, is clover considered a, a weed? I've heard different. Like I've heard clovers. I've heard different opinions on clover. Some that it's good for law, and others that it's unsightly and. I think be it's removed. a question.
0: Well, I mean, so, so I think a weed is just a, any unwanted plant that occurs okay. in, a, in a particular area, right? Uh,
1: yeah, I guess that's a fair yeah. definition.
0: Um, so, you know, I think, however, uh, I think however you describe it, do you want the clover there? Do you mind the clover? Uh, Tell me how you feel about the clover. I do not.
1: It was actually more of an... <laughs> but we have an L-shaped mm-hmm. yard. Uh, that's an unusual lot. We actually had a landscaper come by last week, and we'd like to do something creative with the back portion of the L. It could be a, a nice space, but it needs some work, and I don't think I'm equipped to uh, <laughs> to handle all of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we do have weeds. We do have some weeds. Okay,
0: I'm just curious. Yeah. We got. I'm dealing with some crabgrass over here and some plantain.
1: You seem like a man who's well well positioned to take care of
0: that. Uh, well, those are both uh, annual weeds, uh, and so they do not pose the same sort of threats that others do. Although they they're pretty. Uh, there's a lot of them, I think. I was recently reading about pigweed. Are you familiar with pigweed? I am not. That's a major problem in farming. Because there are varieties of pigweed now that are basically immune to any sort of herbicide, oh wow, and so uh, it does not matter what you do and recently um um I think that monsanto um giant monsanto you know uh, they they created a variety of soybean maybe um that was immune to a like a hugely toxic type of. Um, herbicide, one that would even kill pigweed, <laughs> and uh, uh, t- to some degree, it's true. However, the problem is that um, apparently the directions for application uh, were not entirely accurate; were unclear in some way, <clears throat> and so uh, what happened is that the the herbicide that was applied floated over to some of the other fields that um, did not feature this particular type of modification and therefore were killing large amounts of crops. Mm. Yeah. Now, one thing I will tell you to avoid, uh, uh, Travis, is Japanese knotweed. It's also known as Michigan bamboo in some places, maybe more in the Midwest. Have you ever seen Japanese knotweed before? Huh? I don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking up a photo. Yeah. Are you uh, looking at a photo of a Japanese, Japanese knotweed there? Yes. Uh, and, um, you got to stay far away uh, from this. It, I it I does am- have a bamboo, bamboo-like structure, and it's highly invasive, and aggressive.
1: huh And yeah, it'll take looking,
0: over your yard. Uh,
1: yeah. I'll be on the lookout for this. I
0: would. I would. Lie, I would really like you to. You know, it was uh, a long. Uh, it was. Um, during the Dust Bowl era, it was used with some frequency to feed cattle. I think it was brought over from Japan, and um, uh, you know because it would grow under basically any conditions, and it was very robust. But what here's the problem? Is uh, it got loose, spread around, and now you can't people you can't get rid of it. You got to really dig. You got to get out every last uh, root, otherwise it will regenerate.
1: Be careful, people.
0: Get away from that Japanese stuff. So you have weeds, but here's the question I want to get to: It's not just about the weeds. It's um, to what degree are, are you able to kind of uh, practice? Usually, look at it and say, and to I guess to to accept it, to come to terms with the fact that you have weeds. Are you fine? Are you fine with it? Does it bother you? Uh,
1: it bothers me. A uh, it, it does bother. I would like a cleaner look to the mm-hmm. yard, but. There's so many things to do. It's placed in the priority list is uh, not at the mm-hmm. top. So uh, other items are more pressing.
0: Right. So you look out, you say, well, it's not ideal, but at the same time, I have a child, I have a career, that sort of thing.
1: Right. For the time being, we will live yeah. with it.
0: My, my wife made a good point, one that kind of changed my mind about uh, weeds the other day. Because I, I we recently... I planted a, I planted a lawn from seed this spring. We had our, all of our our grass removed, and I oh, and nice. we had the lawn regraded, and I, uh, you know, planted from seed, and uh, and it came out fine. But we, as I say, we have some plantain, we have some uh, we have some crabgrass, and I uh, it causes a great deal of anxiety for me. I look out and I say, oh, this could be better." And my wife said, "She said, no, you actually want to have some weeds." Because those lawns that have no weeds, it's clear that the people have dedicated uh, an undue quantity or volume of resources to the, to, the, to their lawn, and have probably oh. used some sort of uh, you know toxic chemical in order to uh, kill weeds, uh, you know, to fertilize the grass, etc. She said. So by having some weeds, you're essentially showing to people that you have an all-natural lawn. And so the, did,
1: did this uh, ease your anxiety? Oh, it did. It did completely. Concerned? In fact,
0: I yeah. almost—I cool. would say—I I performed almost a a one eighty in my sense of in my feelings about the lawn. I almost began to take a certain amount of pride in the fact that weeds were here, because I'm not one who's guilty of using, uh, you know, a certain amount of chemicals in order to to um, improve the aesthetic value of the lawn. But it's interesting the way that's that's coaching. Yeah, it's that's interesting coaching. the way you you A can change. Mindset change by changing your mindset, your you the facts of the matter haven't changed, it is the context that has changed. One's changed one's own context. And and yet that has uh you know all it, it that's made all the difference.
1: That's coaching.
0: Maybe you can use that to your advantage.
1: Yeah. I'll try that. Yeah, maybe that but, idea,
0: uh, maybe that idea will stay with you.
1: <laughs> we have yeah.
0: Not for weeds, maybe for ba- maybe it's relevant to baseball. Yeah, maybe
1: yeah. I work. Maybe
0: we can work this in a post. Okay. Maybe you can work it out. All right, you have fulfilled your obligation, Travis Sodick. Uh,
1: happier to have uh, f- fulfilled my obligation. Yeah, great. Well, that always, is always great to be with you, sir. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That is the prolific Travis Sodick. I am Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fancrafts Audio.